Now I want you to look in 1 John because this has to do with something that's practical that's happening now. We're not, uh, for some of you that may know what this is, we're not hyper-dispensationalist. That means we know that, that as far as the Lord's cleansing power and cleansing blood, that He's cleansed us from all of our sin and we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and our soul is sealed to the day of redemption. You understand that. But a hyper-dispensationalist will come along and what they'll try to tell you is, is that, well, if that's the case, there's no need for you to confess your sin. Now, there is a need for you to confess your sin to maintain your fellowship. And I know most of you know that, but some of you might not know that, and it may sound a little bit conflicting. Has nothing to do with whether you get in or get out of heaven. You don't need a priest to come give you last rites uh, the moment you're fixing to die, and they come in and you go ahead and confess, or if you die and don't die in a proverbial state of grace, then you wind up going to purgatory until they pay some money to move you out of purgatory. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about a daily fellowship with Jesus Christ that when you confess your sin, if you look at it, what he says, look, if you will, in verse number seven. The Bible says, I'm sorry, six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Your soul can't do that. That's you personally. That's your flesh. That's Galatians 5. That's you walking in the flesh, not walking in the spirit. All right, then verse number seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's present. That's not Calvary. That has to do with the fact that when you mess up, you fess up and you get back in fellowship with the Lord. And the sooner that you do that, no matter what it might be, the better it is for your fellowship. You understand? It's not your salvation. Now he'll go on down there into verse number eight. If we have no sin, uh, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth isn't in us. Verse John 1, 9, you should know this verse by memory. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and save us through all eternity. No, and cleanse us from what? All right, wasn't I already cleansed at, Cal cleansed at Calvary? So what we're not talking about is, we're not talking about what transpired at Calvary for your salvation. We're talking about in walking in the light. I recognize I'm not in the light. And if you don't take it that way, come to 1 Corinthians before we go to Hebrews. If you don't take it that way, here's the problem that you run into. Now, we are probably going to do it, and I'm going to get with uh, the, the gentleman here and find out what's going to be the best time to do it and get with uh, my wife and find out what all is uh, going on as far as plans. But we're going to have uh, the Lord's Supper here before uh, the meeting. And the reason we're going to do that is, is because there is nothing like the Lord's Supper to make you reflect inwardly, uh, not about what everybody else is doing or done, but yourself, me and everyone else. You have to think about yourself. That's the most difficult thing that there is to do. It's not to see all the warts and the hemorrhoids on everybody else. It's to realize that you have your own. Nobody in here, nobody in here is 100% perfect all the time. All right, now notice what he says here. We're talking about confessing. We're talking about the Lord's Supper, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and they the, this is my body which is broken for you. Come all the way down to verse number 28, uh, 27. You don't want to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, but let a man examine himself, 28, and so let him eat of that bread, examine himself. For if he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
You don't examine yourself for this cause. Many are weak and sickly and many sleep. For if you would judge your what? We wouldn't be judged of who? Not people. You wouldn't be judged of God. You wouldn't be weak or sickly or sleep. That's death. That's a physical promise to me and you that when you get things squared away with you and the Lord, you can find mercy. And the Lord's not interested in your opinion of what you think about yourself. He's not interested in your opinion of what you think of others. What He's interested in is, is what do you think about your relationship with Him? And that's a, that's a hard thing sometimes because the two will clash. And so the tendency is, is to do as I, I think I preached, it's been over a year ago, uh, the passage I preached to you out of the Gospels where I said that uh, Joseph and Mary left Jesus at the church house. Uh, I don't even remember what I named it. Come to the book of Hebrews. But at any rate, uh, the thing I want to try to bring you up is, is that sometimes uh, it's easy to get so caught up in life that we don't realize our relationship with the Lord's not where it ought to be. And it's not always trouble that'll bring it back. Sometimes it's your own recognition. You start reading the Bible and don't bounce off the page like it used to. Sometimes for me, I get busy. I would say probably for me, just giving you a personal testimony, I would say most of what I do is somewhat spiritually inclined. I mean, the talking I do on the phone and the studying and different things like that. And sometimes I get so busy at that that I hadn't checked to see how my prayer life is. I'll notice, I'll notice a difference physically in time in my own personal prayer life. I, I get in there and it's, I'm hitting that passage in James. You have not because you ask not for you ask a mystery. You're going to consume it upon your own lust. And I catch my, this is me, my prayer life. Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. I need you to take care of this, take care of this, take care of this. And I need light on this, light on this, light on this. I come in there like I'm going to uh, whatever the grocery store is. Uh, Winn-Dixie Publix, whatever, and I'm getting the stuff on my list. I put it in the cart, pay for it, and I'm out the door. I got I to go. So for me, I recognize that's indicative of using that to not sit down and recognize I need to have some time to say, hey, just a minute, instead of me just coming and asking you for everything and telling you what I need or what I think I need, pausing long enough to say, Lord, what do you see that I need? Now, for me, the Lord's Supper helps me with that. You say, why? Because that self-examination means I have to shut up long enough to listen to Him. And I have news for you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm appalled at times at what He reveals about me. And it's not things that you would see necessarily. You wouldn't see it on the outside. And when the Lord comes in and looks at you, He's no holes barred. I don't know how He is with you. But with me, he comes in with a halogen spotlight on his head and he goes right at my heart. And he goes into that dark place that I just soon him not go in. And he'll say, what about that? Can we talk about something else? <laughs> I don't know. Can you? It's hard. Well, Lord, I may have that. You're, you're right about that. You're telling the truth now. You're straight up. Um, but you know, so-and-so... I see, y'all probably don't have that problem. But what that lets me know is, is my relationship with the Lord is not where it's supposed to be. And I have to pause and realize, now, please don't be offended by this. My relationship with Him is more important than you. And it's more important than my wife. 
and more important than anybody. My relationship with him is upon which everything else hinges, nothing else. So decisions that I have to realize is, is that how does this affect my relationship with him? And I gets out of priority sometimes because stuff happens. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. I realize where this fits, and these guys have taught you well about uh, as far as doctrinally. This is to the Hebrews. They can let their salvation slip away, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm making a practical application of this now so that you understand. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them what? Slip. slip. Well, sometimes they slip. Sometimes the, uh, the old-fashioned altar, sometimes the Bible reading, sometimes I've read my Bible more than once. I'll just say that. It will give you a, a number of how many times, but I'll just say maybe, maybe more than one time. And there are some passages I might have preached out of maybe as much as 20 times. My tendency, if I'm not careful, is, is to read through the passage with a preconceived notion and just sit down and get my reading done and I'm, and I'm done. And the Lord's like, you think you got it all out of that passage? Take your Bible and come, if you will, please, to Romans chapter number 2. You remember the, the Pharisees that when, they, uh, when, when uh, Stephen started preaching, you remember what the Pharisees did? The Bible said they stopped their ears and they rushed upon him and they gnashed upon him with, his, with their uh, teeth. That's pretty... <laughs> That, that's pretty uh, uh, serious. I don't think I've ever preached where people got that mad or that upset. William Booth wrote this years ago. Uh, I gave this to you about a year and a half or so ago, but I wrote it down. I should have put it in the flyer. For my bio. Matter of fact, I will. General William Booth wrote this in 1849. This was his New Year's resolution from 1848 to 1849. Here's what he wrote. I will rise before 6.30 a.m. every morning. I will spend time in daily prayer and avoid idle talking. I will conduct myself as a Christian at all times. I will read a minimum of four chapters in the Bible every day. I will work to live closer to God and leave the problems that I have to God every day. I will read over this list every day. I will put self-denial as a, being a prisoner of Jesus Christ as number one on my list. That's Booth in 1849. And said he read it every day. Well, you could do a lot worse than General Booth. Amen. So, well, he wasn't a real general. It was the Salvation Army and all that stuff. Well, he got an awful lot done <laughs> if you study his life. That's a life worth reading if you want to read an autobiography. So what I realized by reading these older guys is to recognize that all those older guys that are successful, they have a common thread, no matter who they are, even the great revivalist and things like that. You'll find somewhere in there where they worked at maintaining that relationship with the Lord, and that's the only thing that kept them from stepping off the scene and messing things up. Contrary-wise, the individuals who may have been a big splash in the pan for a while, you'll see a missing of that element of that personal relationship with the Lord, and they have a relationship with their ministry or with other things along those lines more than they have with the Lord, and they put that ahead of 
that relationship, and those are the individuals that wind up messing up and getting out. Look in Revelation, I mean, I'm sorry, at Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2. Is it making sense to you? You say, Preacher, what are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you that for me, and if for me, maybe you might consider for you that the most important thing in your life after your salvation is your fellowship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And how is it? Sure. I preach to you this morning a simple message that we've heard a million times, but the message is going to do with when uh, Jacob got cattywampus with the Lord and messed up and the Lord had him go back to a place where he first met him. And you have a period of over 14 years there where Jacob got into situations that if he'd have maintained what he promised to maintain when he was at Bethel the first time, he wouldn't have messed up those 14 years. Even though he messed up. Romans chapter number 2, come down to verse uh, 4. <clears throat> or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, the revelation of the righteousness judgment of God, righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who be by patient continuance and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, the Jew first and also the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh for good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Now, I don't want to give you this impression that the only reason you stay in fellowship with the Lord, uh, Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, uh, that the only reason you stay in fellowship with the Lord is to avoid a whipping. We got a question during Q&A the other day. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's true, but it doesn't mean that you have to get a, a whipping. Why doesn't the Lord chastise the evil? Because he does it for our good. Why doesn't he chastise the wicked? Because he does it for our good. We get a blessing. Uh, they did it for their own good, the Bible says about them and Peter there. And again in Hebrews, he says to them in Hebrews chapter number 12 that your earthly fathers did it because it gave them some relief. But the Lord does it not because it gives him relief, but because it's a blessing to us. And sometimes the way that is, is he puts, allows you to go through things. And sometimes he uses the words, he uses the sermon, he uses the book. And sometimes he has to use the whip. And I'm trying to tell you how to avoid the whip. If I'm in fellowship with the Father and I'm thinking the way he thinks and doing what he says to do, I got a better chance of avoiding the whip than I do if uh, I've decided to do what I want to do. I avoided a lot of whippings by, by just doing what my dad told me. Well, the Lord's the same way. But there's no whipping I've ever gotten from the Lord, not a single one that I've ever gotten from the Lord that I didn't deserve that and then some. And I'm not saying that to be self-righteous or arrogant. Please don't take it that way. I'm telling you that more times than not, he's been merciful and long-suffering, merciful and long-suffering, merciful and long-suffering, and he's tried repeatedly to get my attention, and I just wouldn't listen. And so then it's in the back room. And then the next thing you know, the whip comes out, and the Lord's like, I wish you'd have listened. I believe the statement when a parent says, it hurts me more than it hurts you. I didn't believe it when my dad was doing it to me. I was too young to understand it. But I understand it now. I don't think the Lord takes pleasure in having to, to get on to his kids. 
I really don't. I don't think the Lord, I, I really don't think the Lord enjoys that. I think he'd rather have you and I in perfect fellowship with him. Amen. But there's a point where the Lord says, uh, sorry, I'm going to do this for your own good. Right. Like the shepherd that breaks the leg of the lamb and then puts the lamb and carries him while that leg is healing. So that mouth is right there by his ear. But I wish I didn't have to break your leg to teach you. But sometimes he'll do it. You say, you're trying to scare me. I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm saying that's what, my, that's what my dad did. My dad would tell me and tell me how to avoid it. And if I didn't do it, I was never surprised when I knew what was coming because he had already told me. He just didn't tell me 10 times. And some of y'all may think that's the wrong thing to do. No, I, meant, I knew when he said it once, he meant business. Well, that's a good principle for me to learn. Only for me personally, sometimes I feel like the Lord's been so merciful to me, I don't always listen to him the first time. Now, maybe you do. Maybe you're like, as soon as the Lord says it, man, the Lord says it settles it. I'm done with it. Oh, okay. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're there. But for the rest of us mortals, we have a tendency to do things in a matter of convenience. 1 Thessalonians 2. Now, this only works, and we just went over this the other day, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But this is part of our study about what preaching is supposed to do. And some of you folks here, you, you are very kind. You're very gracious with text messages or phone calls or letters or emails or whatever it may be. And it seems to be that the harder it is, the more that you like it. And that's a real blessing. And I appreciate that. But it doesn't matter who the preacher is and how hard or how great their oratory skills are. If you don't believe what's being put out is coming from the Lord, it doesn't do you any good at all. You can blast the King James 1611 authorized version all throughout your house, day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it will have no impact on you. It'll be like a BB on a rubber tire unless you believe what's being said was written to you. And when the Lord says, thou art the man, you go. But we get garden syndrome. Notice what he says, verse 13, For this cause thank we God without ceasing. This is Paul thanking God for the church here at Thessalonica. Uh, for, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. But then he goes on to say, which effectually worketh in you that what? Believe. So if you don't believe it, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't have any impact on to you. Look in uh, Romans chapter 4. I'm just trying to kind of give you a brush up, a reminder that through everything that's going to go on in the next 30 days or so, it's going to get intensified. Um, I've used the illustration to you before. If we're, uh, we're let's, let's use my hands right here as an illustration of parenthesis, okay? If I tell you there's no time involved in a particular project, you can take your time and get it done or whatever, then you're not really worried about it and you focus on the task and this and that and the other. The minute I say, I need that by the end of the week, you just added time to the component and what you did was a compressed what you thought you had plenty of time, now you've only got a week to complete it. And now in your mind, you got to start arranging all the things in order to get the task completed. And then we start moving down. And what happens, this is now a fixed time. And this parenthesis has begun to move this way because that time's already gone. 
So now I've got less time. Now I've got less time. Now I've got less time. Well, guess what's happening? I'm starting to feel the pressure of time, but it's also feeling the pressure of compression. If you were an attorney or you were preparing for a case, it would be, we got plenty of time. They got the 90-day speedy trial thing. They waive speedy trial. We don't have to worry about that's for a misdemeanor. It used to be then. 180 days for a felony. Oh, I got plenty of time, six months' time to get that ready. It's not a real problem. And it sits over there, and you don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, remember we got to go? Mr. Smith's got court. Yeah, what? Yeah, speedy trial's run out. He didn't waive speedy trial. You only got... Uh, 180 days. What day are you on? 175. Oh, man. So there comes your all-nighters and there comes your preparation. And when that judge hits the gavel on 8 o'clock Monday morning and expects you to be ready to present it, uh, you don't get to say, well, Your Honor, I'm sorry. You know, I need to apply for a continuance. You've had 180 days. They refuse to do what you, you want to get a trial thrown out right quick like. It won't be because the policeman didn't have probable cause. It'll be because you didn't prepare. Do you, do you understand? Yeah, amen. Do you see what happens is, is this begins to close. When it does, the compression gets greater. All you have to do is add time to an equation. And time is the judge of all things. And when you add time to an equation, ladies and gentlemen, the intensity increases tremendously. That's what they call finals. You don't even think about finals when you first start back to school. You're not even thinking about it. You come close to the end of your first semester and they're going to have a few tests and all. You're not thinking at the end of the year, I got to have finals. And then all of a sudden they come in like it's a surprise and they tell you the week before finals. By the way, finals were coming up. Well, you've been having finals since you were since you were in elementary school. And now all of a sudden it's like finals. Oh, my. Oh, oh what am I going to do? And every day goes by and every day goes by and then it's time for the final. So when it comes to this meeting and stuff that we're going to have over here, uh, the date's set. It's November 1st. Right, you say, what does that mean? This date's moving. Right. You say, what's going to happen? The intensity is going to increase. We added one element back in the training days. I don't know what they do now. We simply added one element. And the mindset changed of the individual on the firing range. They did it. They did it. They did it. They did it. They could do it in their sleep. All we said is, in two seconds, fire two rounds. Some of them didn't even hit the paper. Because in their mind, that's two seconds. Two seconds, you can get off maybe as much as a half a dozen if you practice at it a little bit. But all of a sudden, in their mind, you say, what happened? They're spraying and praying. All we did was just add time. What, what's the problem? Compression. And now all of a sudden, you don't hit what you're aiming at. Yeah. Oh, if I got time to aim and nobody's pushing me and I can teacup it and I can get out there and I can point shoulder and I can, you know, get that thing just right. And I can shut one eye and I can get it and I can just squeeze off of that, man. And then, pow, and then, pow, like that. That ain't how combat goes. And all you say is, is in two seconds, go out on your target with the whistle, go out on your target, fire two rounds, scan and holster. And it's pa 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 I mean, they're firing them off in less than a second and hitting it all over the creation. I mean, <laughs> all kind of collateral damage. You say, well, what is the illustration, preacher? We only added time. As we move toward what the Lord's going to allow us to do here, 
time is going to become an element of what you're dealing with spiritually. And there's going to be conflict during that time. And what may be conflict without any of this, you put this on here and this starts moving, that very same conflict will change. And now an argument with your husband or your wife is the volume's way up now. Are you with me so far? You know what's a good, good time for you to lose Jesus? You say, why? He gets squeezed out of the picture. We forget. Are you with me? Yes, sir. All right, let's see. Look in Romans chapter number 2. Um, I haven't given you that yet, have I? I'm sorry, Romans 4. Romans 4. Look in verse number 19. That's it. Romans chapter 4, verse number 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet uh, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now remember, we just talked about that. It effectually worketh in you that believe. Do you believe all things work together for good? Is that just a verse you give somebody when you don't know what else to tell them? Or do you believe that applies for you? Amen. Well, all things, preacher? All things. That's what he says. Amen. God's got a good reason for it. Amen. Do you understand it, preacher? No, I don't. Do I believe it? Yes, I do. Amen. But I, can't, I don't have answers for that stuff for you. I don't know why you've been through what, some of the stuff you've been through. I don't know why we've been through some of the stuff we've been through here as a church. But God said it was for good. Amen. All right, now watch. Verse number 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to also to perform. I think he made, it, uh, made a promise to us that said, he who hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Did he say that? You say, what does that mean? I hate it when he points out my flaws. But you know what he said? If I'm going to fix you, if I, had a, if I had a glass up here or a cup, if I had that cup sitting here like this, and he had a ball of clay. He'd say, well, you need to look like that cup. And I'm like, well, the ball of clay is bigger than the cup. Yeah, but I want you to look like this cup. Yeah, but there's a lot that's there. Well, I understand that. Well, here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to put that in there. And I'm going to mash it down and mash it down. And I'm going to get it to conform to that image, that cup. That means all the stuff out here has got to go. It won't fit in the cup. There's a lot of things in my life I realize that are outside the cup. Yes, Amen. And the Lord has said, I don't like that. I don't care if people think it's, I don't like it. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? Well, you're on the potter's wheel. Shall the clay say unto the potter? No, the clay is not supposed to talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? Amen. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm your pastor, but I talk back to the clay sometimes. I mean, talk back to the potter sometimes. I, I'm not supposed to be able to talk. I'm supposed to be inanimate. But sometimes I'm like, why are you doing this again? <laughs> he mashes me down. Sometimes he takes what he's made and just crumbles it to powder. Mixes it with water again, his tears, and puts me back up there. Says, all right, we're going to start over again. You gonna make me a teapot? No, I don't need a teapot. You're a show pony. I don't need no teapot. All you do is look pretty in the case. I need something I can use on a regular basis. 
I know what I need. What do, what do you need? I need a plate. Lord, a plate's pretty nondescript and it gets food dumped all over it and gets scraped off and washed off and thrown in the dish rack and plates are the more probable to get broken than the teapot is. People are much more uh, careful with a teapot because they're rare and they're unusual and they're unique and, and those kind of things. But uh, plates, Lord, they're a dime a dozen. The Lord said, yep, need a plate. Need a plate. You want to be what I want you to be? Well, sure, Lord, I absolutely do. I, I, yeah, absolutely I want to be what you want me to be. Sure I do. I need a plate. Amen. What are you going to do with me? I'm going to put you in that pile of plates. You ain't going to stand out. You know the only person that will appreciate that plate? The one who uses you to dump food on? When's the last time you looked at the plate? Well, that's a pretty plate right before you throw squash and taters and fried chicken and green beans and turnip greens and, and then you scrape it off in the trash. When's the last time you look and said, plate, I sure am sorry that I dumped all that on you. And then you throw it in the washing suds like it's dirty or something. And then you rinse it off and you put it with all the other plates in the dish rack. And it dries only to be put up to be used again the same way. I have yet to see somebody serve hot tea or coffee in a plate. Now you think about it. If you have a china cabinet at home, I bet you at least two or three to one, you've broken more plates than you've broken teapots. But you know one thing about a plate? A plate has the potential to be used more than a teapot. We got a couple of fancy teapots. One of them came from Romania that I brought over and got stopped in uh, Amsterdam or Frankfurt with it because they thought it was an explosive. And I brought the thing over there. I don't remember one time that we've ever put tea or coffee in it. Afraid if you pour something hot in it, it'll break. You put something cold in it, it'll crack. And so it just... There it is. That's when you and Jim went to Romania. You got stopped in Frankfurt. Jim's on the other side of the glass waving at you. <laughs> terrorist, terrorist, you know. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's what he did. But are you, are you getting the picture? Amen. You know what he said? He said, I'm believing that God's going to perform it. Now, the way that I can get real set up by, uh, upset about that, come to the book of Hebrews. Stop in... Um, Stop in Hebrews 6 first. Now the only way I... Good night, man. Uh, the only way that I can uh, make sense of this is, is to recognize that uh, the one who's on the potter's wheel knows more about the clay than the clay does. Amen. And the one that's uh, doing with me what he needs to do with me, he's doing it because he knows better than I know myself. Amen. I like to think I know myself. But the more I read the Bible, the more I, there's a side of me I don't know anything about. And the side of me that I don't know anything about it is in direct contrast with what the book says. That's the reason a lot of you don't read the Bible. It's not because it's hard to read. It's you don't like what it says. And there's times where I don't either. 
But that's God that wrote it. Amen. Look in Hebrews chapter number 6. Sometimes we can kind of get a little bit lazy when it comes to these things. Notice what the, um, Paul, I believe the writer of Hebrews here, but notice what he says here. I realize a tribulation passage. I'm making again a practical illustration. That ye be not, do you see it? That I'm in Hebrews 6, 12. I'm sorry. Be not what? Do you know what slothful is? That's lazy. That's intentionally lazy. Uh, uh, slothfulness is different than just being kind of having a, a lower gear or a slower gear. Slothfulness is, is a little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands, and the garden ain't going to get plowed that way. You have to fight against that. I know it's hard for you to get up on Sunday. I understand that. I, I, I really do. I understand that. I have to fight it too. You've been up all night for a while and that kind of a thing, and then you're thinking, well, shoot, man. Well, everybody else does it. Yeah, that's the rudiment of the world. You've been warned about that. You heard the preaching on that. Everybody else does it. Well, it don't matter if everybody else does it. Everybody else is going to the beach today, whether it's cloudy or not. Everybody else is going to the ball game today. Everybody, I don't care what everybody else is doing. See, slothful is intentionally, I'm laying around. I know I shouldn't, but I'm laying around because I want to. All right, notice what he said. Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That means that at times you need individuals that are around you that can help you to be able to get to where it is you're going. If you're slothful and you hang around slothful people, you know what will happen? You'll always be slothful. One of the uh, fellows that I talked to is a professional athlete. He's out in Texas now, but he's a professional athlete. I'm going to have to quit now, and then we'll come back to that this evening. If you'll come back, I'll give you the rest of that, but, uh, or at least some more of it. Uh, but one of the things he said is, is he said, I asked him, I asked him specifically about the uh, issue of what's the difference in a, a professional and an amateur. And he said, of course, the first thing I told you was, is he said, we start practice after everybody else has finished practice. Number two, he said, we practice our weaknesses. But you know what he said? We always try to train with people that are better than us. I knew a guy that was a PGA professional. His last name was Knox. And, and uh, Kenny Knox was his name. You can look back. He was second at uh, Crooked Stick to John Daly when John Daly kind of debuted and John Daly was hitting it out there 100 yards past him on the fly and that kind of a deal. He wound up being second there in the PGA, won all kind of money, won a bunch of tournaments and led uh, the, uh, the, the teams and a whole, I mean, led the statistics and a whole bunch of things. All of that stuff being said, I mean, he's a qualified, bona fide uh, PGA professional, uh, made a living at it. And so I asked him one day, I said, uh, you know, just trying to pick up some things, trying to learn things from people that are good at what they do. And uh, he said, most amateurs are always play with people they can beat. Amen. And I thought, you say, what were you writing down? Guilty. He said, if you want to get better, you have to play with people better than you. He said, you'll never up your game until you're competing with somebody that's better than you are. And that fits across the board. Yes. You struggle in school, quit running around with dunces. Amen. You know, what was it Balboa said? It was the only profound thing he said in the whole thing besides, yo, Adrian, you know. 
You know what he said? He said to that kid, he says, uh, you hang around with coconuts, you'll be a coconut. I'm thinking sounds like it's coming from the coconut, but, <laughs> but, I, but I never forgot that. That's a, that's a principle. In your uh, educational life, if you want to excel when it comes to your ability as far as uh, academics are concerned, why do you run around people that you're, they're on your same level and you can, you, you're just satisfied with making a C? Because you can do that without working too hard. You know what you should do? You should jump in the pool with the A students. You say, why? It requires work. If you're an athlete, you want to excel, you know what you have to learn to do? You have to learn to compete at another level. And you know what you're going to be? You're going to be the pipsqueak that's getting beat all the time. Right. One of the things that's missing in American males today is, is the fact that you're told about winning all the time. But every professional athlete that, that I've known said they learned, including all the big boys. You know what they said they learned up, coming up along the way? I learned how to lose. Yes, and I learned that I could learn more from lessons, that, from a loss, than I did from all the times I won. Amen. They learned how to win by learning first how to lose. Well, if you think about that, that professional athlete, that's, that's real smart. He said, I always trained with guys that were bigger, better, stronger, faster than me. And he said, you know what? I found a gear in me that I didn't know existed. And he said, some of them I never beat. But it made me better. Yes. Amen. Now, let me just leave you with this thought. You want to get better in your Christian life? Stop running with coconuts. Start running with some big dogs. When I say big dogs, you have a bunch of elderly people in here. Man, they can get on their knees and they can pray. And they're, they're in the throne room, man. You say, why? They practice it. You got a weak prayer life? Grab a hold of them and say, will you come to the altar and show me about prayer? Pray out loud. I want to hear you. How do you pray? You don't know the Bible? Get one of these guys that are, that are here. Um, get with Woodard or get with Sam or get with Lance or get with Russell. You've got a bunch of people in here. Brother Mitch has been to school. Brother Donnie's been to school. Uh, Brother Mike's been to school. You've got a bunch of women in here that have been to school. You don't know anything about the Bible? We'll run with some people that know about the Bible. Get with the individuals that have been there. You say, well, you know, I'll show how stupid I am. That's how you get smarter. Do you go to school thinking you're smarter than the teacher? I think some of you do. I, 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 let me rephrase that. You shouldn't go to school thinking you're smarter than the teacher. You're there to learn something. You're not there to teach anything. You go in there, you don't understand math. You're not supposed to understand math the first day you walk in the door. I was listening to a little bit she's talking about. She passed her first uh, physics test. And it's really, really hard. Yeah, the name alone makes, gives you chill bumps. Physics. <laughs> It just sounds hard because it doesn't make sense to common people. Who in blazes uses physics? Well, see, you don't even understand. You use physics every day. You just don't know it as physics. And so, you know what happened? Sometimes you're like, man, this is hard. Yeah. You say, what do I do? I keep going to the teacher. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Oh, I'm starting to get it. Oh, I see that. Oh, oh, I see that. Oh, oh, yeah. That's the Christian life. And, and there's a lot more to separation, ladies and gentlemen. They're just always just pulling back away from everything. Sure. Paul says in Thessalonians there, he said he admires them. I'm in uh, five, First Thessalonians 5 there. And Paul says, where that, no, 
chapter 1 there, and he said it's on the right hand side there, he says that they separated from idol worship to serve the living God. It's not just separation for the sake of saying I'm separated. It's I'm separating, I'm cutting this loose for the purpose that I can grab a hold of him with both hands. I can't hold on to both of those things. That's a divided mind. That's Reuben, unstable as water. That's uh, thinking I can hold on. You're going to despise one and cling to the other. So you know what you have to do? You've got to turn loose say, well, so I can get a hold of the whole thing. And that's who you need to hang out with. Uh, Father, bless your word this morning. Thank you. For